So my first my first question is, how did you become a composer? Because like I I know for a composer you have to be a musician. You have to understand all the different instruments and how they go together and the musical arrangement. So how did you go from just being a musician to being a composer? So I grew up singing um, as a chorister in uh, in uh, a choir in Windsor um, called St George's Chapel Choir, and that you know in England there's a big there's a long-standing tradition of cathedral choristers, mm-hmm. um, and that's where I got my musical training, and that was really valuable for me because um, you know it trained my ear and it trained me to understand harmony, different you know different sounds and different intensities and that that was really like really crucial obviously man I've just been studying music my whole life and you know hoping to learn more and more as I go hopefully you know another 10 years old I'll be better than I am now but I uh, you know it's it's uh, it's a wonderful thing to work with music and a wonderful thing to work with films yeah um, it's funny that you mentioned chorale because I used to be in choirs back home and actually I am familiar with groups like the um St. Michael's Boys Choir and you know the cathedral and cathedral music and chorale music so like you do I find that like, when you do sing with choirs because you do have to listen to the different parts it does help you to pick yeah. up like different instruments and be able to like compartmentalize which which part you want to sing at the same time because you have to make sure you don't get carried away by the other part if you're saying alto you have to make sure you don't get carried away by the tenors or the bass no exactly yeah well you yeah you need to learn how to not just to not not to block them out, but actually tend to understand how you, what you're singing uh, is a, is a relationship to what they're singing. Right, yeah, and, and that and that's a wonderful. I mean, that's one of the wonderful things about music. The way it, it you know, the, 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 the different different elements coming together. Right, and how does that help with actual with composing the music? Actually, because you have the different instruments, but then you have to figure out how they work to how you want them to work together for the tone that you're setting with the music. Yeah, I mean, I think just understanding like harmony is such a big building block for like um, like emotional narrative in music, and so understanding how harmony different harmonies can, can lead to different feelings. And often, like, and within those harmonies, when you expand them, they'll, they'll indicate different colors and different instruments that you want to be using. You know, a certain chord will, at least to me, um, it will, the harmony will inform the style. And then obviously the style is mostly, accent, is then very much uh, accented by the instrument choices that you're using. Mm. And when you're composing for a film like Promising Young Woman, which to me it has two distinct feels. One is kind of like this like hearted, almost inspirational feel for Cassie where there's during the day she's 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 a jaded person by, by nature, but she still has hope where she's like interacting with Ryan or with her boss and then there's the, the the nighttime studies where it's like it becomes very like sinister almost and very dark and it has this very um heavy feel how do you when you're composing and you're trying to find those harmonies when you have two distinct sounds how do you make them distinct but also make them fit cohesively with the theme of the overall theme of the film that's a great question um so Yes, I mean it's so cool that you you did. Did you have a chance to see the film or something? Yeah, yeah. I saw it last night actually. Oh, awesome! Yeah, that's so cool. Um, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you've seen it. Um, so that element in Cassie's life of hope 
it's something Emerald really wanted to make a feature of with the music, the music, the score specifically. Um, really, it's sort of, you know, her, her, her last chance. And it's almost like in another world, another in another movie, that would be, well, not to spoil it for anybody, but that would be how things turn out for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so it's, it's the promise of, it's the fairy tale fantasy right. that could be. And then the counterpart to that, as you, as you identified, is the actual reality and ultimately what how things play out. Mm. So Emerald really wanted to lead the audience into that fairy tale, especially with the romantic interaction with Ryan. Um, and what I what I did um, in in running the school right from the beginning was come up with a theme for Cassie's journey. And where possible, I mean, obviously a lot of the the more horror and, and um, dramatic elements of the score um, are, um, uh, sorry, just, just give me a second. It's okay. People talking, yeah. Um, um, obviously a lot of the dramatic um, elements of the score is, is very much about atmosphere, so there wasn't room for a lot of the theme, but the theme still, you know, still exists in a thriller, um, in thriller iterations, and then you know I have a pulsating um, accompaniment, which is just uh, pulsating between two notes, that very often underpinned the theme, mm-hmm. and then the uh, and that. So both the melody and the pulsating accompaniment was was thread that I could use to thread a, a through line between those different different worlds to make you know to make a cohesion identity for Cassie. Right, and uh, you you mentioned fairy tale, and actually in my notes when I was watching the film last night, like especially for the dark, the dark moments and the nighttime scenes, it, the the thought came to me that the music kind of was like a dark fairy tale, and that's the theme that I that was running through my head. That's what I would like if I was writing like the score for it, I'd probably name it dark fairy tale, and um and the film does have that fairy tale element, especially not to as you said not to spoil, but close to the end where it's like she's going into the woods and it has this very um Red Riding Hood feel. And yeah, yeah, it does, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah, agree. yeah, because it's like Red Riding Hood going to meet like the the big bad wolf, and um and for and this is not a spoiler because it was played in the trailer. Like there is the theme for Toxic by Britney Spears, and I love what you did with that. Like we, you know, we're accustomed to having um, orchestral variations for pop songs and like different um, choral music and whatever for films and for TV shows. But I love what you did because you use a lot of strings. And string is prominent in the original version of the song, but you, you, to me, the strings came across more heavier in the, in your in your um, in your composition. So I wanted to ask you, like, when you're doing something like that, when you're changing, you're keeping the original tone and feel of the song, but you're changing it and you're expanding it to something different to fit the narrative. Like, how do you go about that process? That's a great question. I mean, yeah, obviously that's such an iconic moment in the film and a really iconic moment for music and and visuals in the film. Um, and that really, uh, I wish I could take more credit for it um, because it was very much Emerald's vision from a very early point that she, she had this idea of using Toxic, which obviously has like great lyrical... Um, uh, associations for the subject matter of the film, but 
more so, um, you know, it, so so you immediately trigger into that. But then, you know, so yeah, she ha- she had me do the string version, um, and it's also slowed down, so it's it's warped. So the audio is warped. It's it's sort of the most toxic version of toxic we can we could think of, but also lives in the world of the score because it has a you know because of the strings and it has it fits with the, the thriller uh, aspect of the string score mm-hmm. um, and so yeah I mean it's it's already it's been really cool to see like you've on Twitter people talking about that moment in the film and how much they they think that it's such a cool uh, you know moment for um you know, for, for like like one of the sort of most iconic horror moments they've seen for a long time. Oh, it no, it really works because it does change the tone of the film completely. Because it's the third, it's the third um, part of the film, but like the, it changes the tone of everything completely, and it kind of like puts you on edge and kind of anxious because you know she's walking into danger, and you're thinking, okay, it's toxic because you're going. You're also, even though you're not hearing the lyrics, like we all know the song, so we're hearing the lyrics in our head, and you're running through the lyrics, and you're saying, okay, so like something bad is going to happen and this this uh, obsession she has is toxic and like anything that's toxic does not end well for for most people who come into contact with it so it kind of does the music really sets you on edge there and 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 so i wanted to ask you as a musician what is it you think what is it about violence especially and especially and string instruments in general that makes them so um suitable for these kind of um musical pieces you know like the ones if you want something dark and and sinister or something to make the audiences anxious like i find for films and tv shows like the violin is especially is used a lot like what do you say you think about them that makes it so effective that's a that's a great question i mean not just for this film but i mean i think just like universally in all music i mean strings have been around so long I mean, the fact that the string instruments obviously they've changed technically like the, the bows the, the, the strings used to be made of guards and now they're generally made of metal but but as a, as a whole the, the um string instruments haven't changed a whole lot for hundreds of years and they've been this through line for music making um and it's quite extraordinary how versatile they are even in a contemporary film mm-hmm. like this and many others i mean i'm certainly not the only composer in the world using strings they're they're so widely used and so effective and um and you know and so versatile they can be incredibly creepy obviously like Bernard Hunt and you know famously used the string orchestra in Psycho mm-hmm. with such a um, you know such a devastating feeling and they can be incredibly romantic which also was really useful in this film for the romantic aspect especially the, the most beautiful kissing scene between uh, Ryan and Cassie you know where I'm really pushed to have the most romantic build and, uh, that, that we could do so but I think that, in general, they're so useful because you can change the intensity of a note um, as it plays. Mm. You know, a piano is obviously a beautiful instrument. It's a bell-like instrument that has great emotional um, impact. But once you sound a note, it's you bad. cannot change the intensity. Mm-hmm. Whereas strings can start incredibly quietly on a note and grow through and, and through that you can you can either have a very sweet tone with a lot of vibrato or you can have a very guttural 
uh, intense, almost like an cry of anguish. Mm. Uh, no. The other thing that makes oh sorry, no, go ahead, sorry, so go ahead. great. Um, I was just going to sorry. Added, the other thing that makes it so great is that they're so homogenous, so that the, the string orchestra as a as a breathing organism itself can 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 blend so well. And so it can, strings can be incredibly intimate, but also incredibly vast and expansive. But I think that, I think it's the way that they can grow through notes and the way they can change their tone as they play and the variety of articulations they have. They have tremolo, they have cello, they have, they can fluctuate pitch. You know, that's another big emotional component to the string orchestra is that the pitch, just small changes in pitch can have a huge emotional impact um, in a way that, you know, a piano does have a great, you know, other instruments do have a great amount of, of depth, but generally, you know, in the, in the, in the tones, um, you know, it's not, a piano has multiple strings, so when you strike a note, you're not just striking one string, you're striking many, you know, the best pianos, all this, all those strings are slightly different, the tuning is slightly different, so you get a very beautiful um, chorus. Mm. But there's something about the string tuning that also has a huge emotional weight. Anyway, sorry, you <laughs> No, no, it's, 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 I understand what you mean, because I used to play the violin like years ago, and, and it is my personal favorite instrument, and I do understand what you mean about how it can sustain us and it can change emotions, because as you said with the piano, like once you play that note, it's gone. And that even if yeah. you press the pedal, it only lasts for a certain amount of time. But with a violin or a cello or a viola, or a viola, like the you can you can keep the note going as long as you can move that bow in a st- in a steady flow, and you can sustain it for however long you need to. And so I, that makes perfect sense because some of the best. Um, and some of the most well-known um, orchestral pieces ha- feature violence heavily because you have like Vivaldi spring and like they can change tone depending on how you how you uh, how you do them right so I understand completely and so going from that when you have when you're working like technology has advanced um, like vastly in the last I would say 20 years especially with regards to musical instruments so when you're composing do you like how much of an actual orchestra do you use and then how much of a board or a production board or synthesizers do you use to make the music that how much of a combination do you have well we we're very lucky that you know in 2020 there are some amazing sample libraries for orchestral uh, instruments and so even if creatively stylistically you want to evoke the sound of uh, a string orchestra or a brass section or a but, you know, organic uh, flute. Um, there are really great samples to be able to do that. They don't, they'll never, especially on a floor like Promising Young Woman, they'll never be able to quite capture that humanity and that, um, that soul that a, a real musician will bring. Especially, actually, I mean, really, because what I was just describing about the way that a string note is sustained growth or, or everything I was just saying. So, um, the um, so when we're working with the film, we're very lucky that we do have uh, samples that we can we can create and play for the director. Um, these elements, 
obviously when it comes to, create, uh, to, to creative decisions about what we want to do with, with synths and non-orchestral sounds, then those are also we can work them, you know, within the same uh, the same computer and we can work work that to present to create the demo and then if we're if we're lucky enough to have budgets to replace those things which I'm promising only we were we'd re-record the strings um, in which we in this case we did in Vienna and then we would um, uh, we would and then obviously the non-orchestral elements are mixed in with that so um, on Promising Young Women um the, the main soul of the score is, is the string orchestra, but there are also some other synth elements which include, well, well I mean, there, I say they're synth, they're, you know, a vocal, um, they're, they're really organic, they're you know, it's like an organic element because it's a vocal that's um, merged and turned into a long synth, which was really useful and really embodied uh, Nina's presence in the movie, in the mm-hmm. score. Um, and then a low organ drone, which um, you know is a really great color for the score. Right, and when you're and for and from my knowledge with regards to composition for films, just it's not that much. Like we, I know, like sometimes you watch like clips of the films as you're composing and as you're directing orchestra with regards to moving through the scenes. How much of your composition and how much of your inspiration comes from the actor's performance? Because you do take your inspiration from what the, the director's vision and what she wants for, for the film and for the tone, but how much of it is gathered from the actor's performance? A huge amount comes from the, the actor's performance. And I mean, really, that's, you know, obviously Emerald's vision for the film started with, with her, her script for the movie, which obviously then Kerry um, interpreted along with Emerald. And then, um, you know, then Emerald is guiding guiding me on on her interpretation and performance. And then, of course, there's the actual there's the performance itself, which in this case was a really fantastic one. I mean, Carrie is getting a lot of well-deserved praise for uh, for how good, good she, she is in the film. And obviously, she's a phenomenal actress. I was really lucky to have a chance to meet her and spend some time with her at the at the premiere and afterwards. And we spoke a little bit about that, about how, um, you know, there's, <laughs> a composer has a very one-sided relationship with the actor because they spend a lot of time at the performance, being inspired by the performance, and and then, you know, to the to the um, uh, to the actor, the composer is, is somebody who awkwardly shuffles up to them at the after party and says hello. Um, so it, it's an interesting it's an interesting relationship, and it's very one-sided. But obviously, sorry, I'm just gonna. Wait. I just give me a second. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, it was um, it was amazing to to get to meet her. But she was such a big inspiration. Her character and her performance, and really inspired the main team that I was talking about. And mm-hmm. That that override. You know, when I wrote the thing, it wasn't for a specific scene. It was just the overriding feeling that her character. Which was of, of a, you know, of a, of a, a doomed hope, really, and you know, this, this, this pressed hope, and that's what, um, 
you know, that's what very much inspired inspired the team. And, you know, she, her performance is so great that there were so many things that could work against her. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So that's great. And, um, okay, so going from that again, you've worked on various genres of films and games, and you've worked with, you've worked on adventure films, you've worked on action, you've done Fortnite, and you've done other video games. And each, like, what is the difference between composing for a live action project and versus animated project, either video game or a animated film like How to Train Your Dragon? Well, the, I mean, the difference between video games and films specifically is more, um, is really a, a, really a formatting thing. I think stylistically, depending on what the video game or the film are about, the music could really be very similar. I mean, there's no reason you wouldn't write. And, you know, for a great action video game, there's no reason you wouldn't write as, 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 as great music as, as you would for a, for a great action film. Um, or at least try to um, whereas um, you know so it's really a question of format and the structure of a film obviously has requirements and places that you need to push forward and, I mean not that games don't have that too they have a narrative it's just more expansive and mm-hmm. less linear right um, you know I mean obviously it depends hugely on the style of the animation just because it's animated it might actually call for very dark music obviously those are um, less common because the animated genre tends to lend itself to a younger audience and, and darker stories aren't suitable so but the, the um, you know animation obviously is more hyper uh, the emotions are, are hypercharged. Mm. You know, everything's um, operating at a much more intense level. Um, so, you know, I mean, the difference, you know, whereas, whereas um, live action films tend to be more um, minimal, generally, and more realistic. Uh, it's not it's not heightened reality generally I mean there are some films that very much have scenes like for example a slow motion scene in a uh, you know live action film is a, is a heightened reality and so therefore the music is going to try and capture that feeling um, you know but equally you could score a video game that's trying to feel like uh, a live action film and, and therefore has a similar kind of treatment of the music Mm. Um, so I mean they're all really wonderful to work on and you know I, I uh, I've been very lucky to do to do bits of bits of all of them mm. and so like for you personally how does it feel to know that when you're creating a piece of music for it, whether it's a game or t- or a animation or a live action film that your your job is not only to drive the story and interpret it musically but also to influence the audience and how to interpret what they're seeing on screen because we like we know that if we see clips without uh, clips of like act or acting without music it just feels flat but you need the music to gather the emotion whether it's anger or sadness or happiness or hope and like for you how does it what how do you feel personally about being able to do that for audiences yeah, I mean, I think some of the really interesting film scores, what they're able to do is actually is, is show the audience something that they're not seeing or hearing. But, you know, something that's, something that's more, you know, and it's also an important, it's an important way to stylize the way that the 
film is going to deliver its emotional content. So, you know, even a romantic story in an unromantically stylized movie, the, the music is going to uh, is going to be stylized in a less romantic way. It's going to be more subdued, and that in itself has a stylistic uh, uh, stylistic. It sends a stylistic signal to the audience that this is the kind of film that they're experiencing, and and you know it. it, it you know, music is really good film music is able to be an authority to the audience, you know, making them believe in the mythology that they're watching. You know, make, making them, for example, you know, in Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, Howard Shaw did such an amazing job at creating this mythology of, well, this is, you know, that, that I believe that these, I believe that these elves exist and that they live for hundreds of years. You know, I believe that there's this dark force. I believe that there's, you know, these very unpleasant orcs and they have a culture. You know, and I think that obviously in a film like that, there's a huge demand for those kind of, that kind of mythology. But I think every film has that. I think mythology is a bit of a grandiose word for it. It's more like stylized. Mm. Um, but, you know, and the level to which um, you want to be manipulating uh, the audience and how 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 much you want them to be aware of that is also very different depending on the style of the film. And some directors, in the case of Promising Young Woman, are more really wanted me to push the audience and play with the audience with the genres, with the horror, with the um, with the drama, you know, with the thriller element and with the romantic element. So, um, whereas you know, other directors would want it to be much more subtle and suspend the mystery. Well, well, yeah, because like for promising a woman, like the even though it's reality based, it has a very heightened sense of reality, and I guess that's also because it has this, as we've been saying, this fairy tale feel to it, right? You you know that these situations happen in real life, but the way certain things are done and the certain choices that Cassie makes and the way the plot plays out feels hyper-realistic. You expect this to be something from almost like... Technically, it's fiction, but you'll be like, someone is actually doing this. This can't possibly be real. So there is that fantastical element of it. It's it's reality, grounded in reality, but there's still this outsized feeling of what on earth is happening here, kind of uh, feeling to it. Well, yeah, I mean, there's these different perspectives. You know, on the one hand, there's the way that we hope things look, and then there's the way that things uh, actually are in reality. Mm. You know, and so a lot of the music is, you know, that I was saying earlier, is, is, that, is that, is you know, is that fairy tale of how we how we wish things could be. But uh, yeah, I love that you've identified this uh, dark fairy tale. I'm, I'm going to tell Emerald. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, I think that's, I think that 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 sums it up really well. But then, of course, it's sort of almost an anti fairy tale because it's so real and vivid by the end of the film. And so visceral. But, but uh, I would still say it kind of fits in the fairy tales because, like, a lot of the fairy tales that we know, we we know them to be lighthearted, but a lot of them are based on stories that are kind of dark and like grim and grotesque, like the Brothers Grimm's series, like all of those Sleeping Beauty and and Cinderella. All of them, they have like really dark foundational elements. Like we like to play up the romance, but when you look at it, like Sleeping Beauty, this is a girl who was in a coma for how many years? She got poisoned by her by by someone, and then like Cinderella, she's basically an indentured servant, and all of these fairy tales we like to look at the happy ending but like they are based in like pretty dark circumstances <laughs> yeah well no and importantly they're delivering very real messages 
messages. And I think that's obviously what Emerald does so brilliantly mm -hmm. in this film is that she's delivering very real, very real subject matter uh, in, in, in the case of uh, Cassie's journey. Mm. Yes, and I think that's it for us. So I wanted again, thank you so much for speaking with me, Anthony. I love the film. I love the. I love what you did with the music. That that toxic theme. That all of the everything you did for the film from the very first song. There was a song at the beginning, and I know it and I was humming it I'm like I cannot remember the name of this song because it's the scene where she's walking down the hill eating the jelly donut and I'm like I know this song and I could not remember it but where everything you did for it oh me, it's raining man yes right it was raining man oh, and it yeah, was humming yeah, no. I'm like this song I'm that's like I yeah that's a that's a really cool cover that, that the capital uh capital work with their artists to to create but no that's so yeah it's so great the way that's done yeah and, uh, I mean, two of my favorite moments for, for me musically in the film were, well, I think the th apart from Toxic, the three standout moments for my score are the um, the two scenes when she's on the laptop. Mm -hmm. And what what's interesting about those is that, you know, Emerald gave me permission to, it's such an intimate scene and it's somebody on a laptop. But obviously in 2020, the implication of social media and your laptop it can be enormous for anybody and right. what you're able to achieve on a laptop is much larger than um, much larger than the reality of, of what you're looking at and in this case that laptop is her gateway back into her past right and through that and through finding Al Monroe and finding Madison is actually what enables her to re um, you know go to um, to re go on this revenge mission, and and obviously I mean I think that highlights. This is a very small element of the film, but it highlights like the sort of the, some of the dangers of social media. But emotionally, for Cassie, going digging back into her past, I didn't score it as a girl on a laptop. I scored it as this huge emotional um, return to something that has been she's been hiding from. Mm. And there's two scenes. There's the, the first one, which is when she discovers Armand Monroe, and it's very dark. And then there's the scene, the counterpart to that, which is when she decides she's ready to move on and, you know, let this go. And yeah. Emerald gave me permission to really score that in this um, very, you know, very emotionally intense, heightened way, as, as you said. I mean, it's, it is, it's, it's much larger and more cinematic than, uh, than what you're seeing. And then, of course, the third one is the romantic kiss. Um, so those were really wonderful. And, of course, there's lots of other... Oh, well, actually, the fourth one is, of course, the conclusion of the movie, which... Uh, we will keep secrets. <laughs> yeah, the ending. I was like, what on earth is going on? But um, I like that you mentioned the laptop scene because it actually reminded me of the scene in um, Get Out where Rose is looking for her next victim. And those two scenes kind of reminded me, like you said, like social media has its pros and cons. And one of the cons is it can become a digital hunting ground for people. And that's basically what Cassie was doing. She was using social media and... Was it, what they, I think I think it's called Friender um, as her as her hunting ground to find the people that she needed to find, and it, and as you said, it was a gateway for her back to her past to reconnect her past and to find something that she was looking for. But it it, it was also it led to something to a conclusion that was like what on earth? So it's like it has it's good and it's bad. Right, exactly. 
Um, so again, thank you so much for talking to me, Anthony. I really enjoy this. I really enjoyed your work on the film. And thank I, you so much. No I'm so problem. glad you, you enjoyed it. Oh, it was a blast. Like the cinema was, everyone was like in uproar at the end. Everyone was like, what is happening here? But yeah, no, it was great. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a film that I think is going to be talked about for a while. Oh, I, I trust so, me. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Karen, and for, for having me. And uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I hope we can talk again in the future on other projects. I hope so, too. Thank you so much. Bye. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye.